Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there, welcome to the show. It's brought to you in association with Levi Solicitors who will offer you a 10% discount on your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Dan here along with Michael and Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Also, hello. Do the thing, Michael. I know we've had a week off. We've been walking and stuff, which we're, we're back from. Thank you, by the way, if you donated to the um, Andy's Man Club charity walk um, in memory of Gary Speed. We'll do some a special show about that. We'll reflect on that properly in due course. But before that, still donate anyway. Yeah. The squareball.net slash Gary Speed. Yeah, nearly, nearly 60 grand, but we would do the Will's probate conveyancing thing. I had to say it to several people on the walk. People were asking for it. It's now become like my little... It's your catchphrase, isn't it? Weird catchphrase. So yes, if you want to get Will's probate and conveyancing, by all means do so from Levi's Solicitors. Um, before we get into this this takeover special where we catch up on the latest news, do you want to explain why your voice is croaky? The White Horse in Halifax seems to have ruined it. It was a karaoke thing that on the walk. It got out of hand. And I've not been able to speak since. <laughs> I love the idea that karaoke could get out of hand. <laughs> I think normally, because it was a, it was a, was it a Friday night with that? I think normally there's about six people in it and then like 40 Leeds fans turned up and it um, it went on a bit. Mm. So, yeah, since then, it's not really worked. This is the improved version as well. It was a lot worse uh, before this. So, sorry, everyone. Quite a lot's happened since we were last here. It feels like months since I've been in here because I did the um, a couple remotely because of my bad back. But here I am. It's nice. It's nice to be back in. Levi solicitors. Yeah, that's you did nice. the catchphrase. You that's didn't do the discounts. Is it still um, Phil Hay Monday Club or is that? It's for a limited time. For a limited time, yeah, fifteen mm-hmm. percent off your will's probate conveyancing. Yeah, going to teach you how to do it all again. Unbelievably hard. Levi's are going to be sending through some new stuff, by the way. So you'll have a, you possibly have some new stuff to talk about soon. Ooh. Take all summer to learn that. I was going to say by the, by the time you've learned it, it'll change again because you're fucking useless. Um, <laughs> shall we get into it then? They shouldn't be allowed to change. Their, uh, their offer? Their tagline, yeah. It was one with the same. <laughs> they paid us to carry whatever message they tell us. Yeah, I think there'll be, uh, there'll be protests on the streets, won't there? Change it back. Change it back. Indeed. So, news broke on Friday evening. Phil Hay with the scoop uh, about the agreement between 49ers Enterprises and Ace Adventures, um, which was followed by a statement on the website shortly afterwards. Update, full stop. Leeds United can confirm an agreement has been reached between Ace Adventures and 49ers Enterprises for the purchase of the club. Both parties continue to work through the details, and further updates will be provided soon. Uh, all our focus remains on a quick return to the Premier League. Thank you for your continued support. Marching on together. That's all really we have at this moment in time, in terms of concrete facts. 
those uh, those few paragraphs on the um, on the website. But a lot has been said, a lot's happened, a lot is about to change. Let's start with Andrea Radrazzani then, as the as the jump off point for this. He's off, and how do you feel about the fact that he is off? It's about time, isn't it? Probably it's um, he's, he's overstayed by a year or two. I would say he had a, he had an opportunity to leave, not as a hero, because as an owner, are you ever really? Unless you're bankrolling like billions of pounds into a team, but um, yeah, it was there for him to be to be our best chairman in a very long while. And as it is by the end, it's kind of like everyone's sick of him, which is, I guess, is a shame for him to a degree, but also, fuck him. Because <laughs> he's, he's a football club owner there to make money and, yeah, you know, what can you do? Which he has done, just not as much as he thought he would and not as much as he would have done if he'd got out earlier. And I think um, he seems to have lost his rag with it as well over the, the last year. I think my favourite part of the takeover announcement um, and I put the two uh, screenshots in the daily email on Monday night when it was first announced it was just the Leeds United logo and the 49ers logo which you can still see in the tweet but then and was the same when you went through to the website but they soon updated it so I'm not sure exactly when but by next morning uh, the Ace Adventures logo had been put on there as well so it's it fills me with uh, sadness actually that somebody was spending their Friday night going, you haven't put my logo on the announcement. Get my logo on. When you say somebody, have you got any, anybody in mind? Uh, well, somebody whose logo uh, was not on the announcement. Um, and that kind of the stuff with the uh, the message to The Athletic about the trying to get a loan on Leland Road to buy some Dory, where it's like, this is none of, none of your business, not turning up at the last game. Um, I think the I, th- I get the feeling that Andrea Ratrizzani is kind of as sick of us as we are of him by this point. And his mistake in that sense is probably not recognising when the going was as good as it was going to get. Because you're right, a football club chairman is never the priority in a, a football fan's mind. Even, even um, though he wanted to be. Even though he wanted to be. And that's the thing. And even on promotion, and I can remember... We were talking about this in the run-up because it was always kind of his slight neediness was always kind of a present thing with replying to people on Twitter and saying that everything's unfair and stuff. That even upon promotion, there would still be people who would not give him the credit. And that's just the way football fans are. The credit, in the end, obviously goes to Marcelo Bielsa, genius, the players who played all the games, scored all the goals, kept all the clean sheets, did all that stuff. And if you're the chairman, if you're just a person writing the checks, hiring the people, you have to kind of develop this skin where the amount of praise you're ever going to get is always going to be limited by the fact that you're not the one kicking the ball in the net. But you are the one who, when the ball is not going into the net, everybody turns around and has a go at you. And that's just the way it is with football mm. Germany. It seems to have found that increasingly difficult to cope with. Um, it's actually, on, on that, you're right. This is one of the few industries where the shit doesn't always roll downhill. But what does that mean? In the sense that normally it's the people, like managers pass shit onto their employees and by that definition, the players would always take the blame. Now the players did get a lot of flack towards the end, particularly in the you know the bitterness that surrounded the end of the Spurs game. But really, it's all ended up at the boardroom, hasn't it? Well, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't filtered down to necessarily it does in the, the end. But if you go, we were talking about it through the season and if you go through the season, it was Jesse Marsh and then Gratia and then Allardyce who have to do 
two press conferences a week before and after every game, and then the interviews, and, you, and then the players have to front up the players. You see Luke Hayling dragged out in front of the, the press to say, why did we lose today? And he's trying to come up with something, and then if he doesn't say the right things, everybody's having a go at him on Twitter. Pat Bamford's getting death threats, and people are talking about stabbing his dog. And Meanwhile, Andrea Rodrizani just goes, well, unless I decide to speak to who I want to speak to at a certain time for a proper sit-down interview, which I can vet, I'll say nothing. And um, then when I sell, I know he sold it for much less than he was going to, but I'll still walk away with, what's he made, like 70 million quid on what he paid for in the first place. So, um, and I did that in my last uh, match report, did the maths, I think, the amount of money he hoped to make if we'd been, if we'd stayed up and he'd sold it for 500 million. Pat Bamford, who, if we assume he gets 100 grand a week, uh, would have to play football for 80 years to make that much money. And yet football is actually built. It's all, the players are greedy. They don't care about the club. They don't put anything in. Pat Bamford's never walk, had a prospect of walking away with 500 million quid. So in the end, Radrizzani, although it does feel like his bottom lip is out, um, particularly when it's all like, this is none of your business. You're trying to make things not nice for me. My logo isn't on the announcement. Still goes away with the money. So how hurt is he? And how bad should we feel for him? Not very. Um, it's more his own recognition of what he gets from this is what he came in for, which is more money than he started with. And what he doesn't get from this is a lot of people kissing his ass. Yeah. I mean, we'll get to the, do the money thing in a second because um, the figures might not be quite as much as as the headlines would suggest. But I wanted to ask, first of all, you're talking there about him not getting it. Is that where he fell short? Um, the fact that he just didn't get it really and understand his position in the world. He wanted more recognition than he was able. And ultimately, was it just about his lack of clout that saw him fail at Leeds, if you want to say fail, or bring things to a conclusion? I mean, having spoken to Phil, he sort of indicates that he doesn't think Rodrizani is a massive football fan. Like He says he's a he's nominally a Juventus fan, isn't he? But Phil says, like, well, if you try to speak to him about Juventus, it's not like he's got loads of memories to fall back on and you, you can't speak to him for hours about Roberto Baggio or Gianluca Vialli or whoever. So, so he's, been in the, he's been in the corporate and hobnobbed with the champagne drinkers. So he's, he is a football fan, but maybe not in the way that the people who were, certainly the people who were going to Ellen Road when he took over were, in the people who, were, who had been there for, you know, 12 years, whatever it was at that point, grizzled championship bastards, as a, a, to use a phrase you, you used. That's what we all were for a time, isn't it? And I think him to turn up and, and expect... Um, People to love him was always going to be a bit of a stretch at that point. But I mean, I don't know if I don't know if history will judge him differently because ultimately, if we can bounce back next year, it's just a blip, isn't it? The going down bit. You know, plenty of teams in the Premier League have had like Newcastle have had a couple of years down there. Look where they are now. West Ham have had a couple of years where they've, they've bounced around. So the, there's the potential for it to all work out fine for him in the end. But the way he's left this year with seeming to walk away from it and then try and get a bit of cash out at the end. It feels like he's veered towards Ken Bates at the very last minute, which was never, in fairness to him, that never felt like his model. His model was always that he was going to make money from this, but he was going to make money by making us better, whereas other owners, they were going to make money by just taking what was there. Yeah, which, like, which we should say is the whole 49ers Enterprises model. The idea is that they will come in at this price and they will eventually sell at that price. And it'll be, if things work out, their interests will align with ours because we'll be a much better... Um, much better football club. But the, the money side of it is interesting in that, so the numbers quoted, don't forget he's getting 56% of that and uh, it's been reported, I think Phil's saying like it's 90 to 100 million pounds that is is the cash value of the shares. But there's going to be 
losses and debts that get removed from that as well. So the money that he actually gets is not going to be just the value of the shares. Stuff still has to come off. So if he paid, what, 45 million, um, he's only probably going to get tens of, I know this sounds sort of glib saying it, but tens of millions on top, which is a long way from Hold on. The, the, numbers that have, <laughs> the numbers that have been quoted here. <laughs> But, but I mean, ultimately, he's a businessman and he wanted his money out of it, didn't he? That was the thing. He wanted yeah. his money out of it and possibly explains why it's been so difficult and why it's dragged so long um, to get it over the line. And in the end, it's what he was aiming for was the kind of the comparison with a, a Bamford or their ilk. It should have been 500 million or 450 million if he'd sold at the right time. And it's funny because then that, that idea of coming in, building a club, leaving it better than you found it, making a profit, which is what 49ers Enterprises say they're going to do. He was very sensible about that for a long time. Like in the championship, I always thought, because well, he said he has a five-year limit. He'd basically have five goals at getting promoted. And after that, he'd just admit he couldn't do it and sell. And he would take that loss. He, and he'd kind of, it felt like he'd put an amount of money in mind that he was prepared to lose because he can't make profit in the, the championship. So he's like, I've got five years. I've got this much money. Let's see if that will get us promoted. And if we do, Fantastic. And I was kind of that because it was the first semblance of a plan that anybody who owned Leeds had had since probably the turn of the century because from, or at least a, a plan that would help us because after Ridsdale, it was all kind of firefighting, trying to keep the, the club afloat. And then Bates had his own ideas <laughs> that necess weren't necessarily uh, aligned with ours. GFH, likewise, Cellino, I wonder if sometimes you have to remind him that he owned Leeds United and then Roderick Sani was the first person to come in and go like, right, no, five years, this amount of money and then that's going to be my my attempt. And then it all kind of got after promotion. I think it all got quite vague and I don't think they really knew what the next target was. There wasn't then another clear plan apart from the fact that we were already talking to Jesse Marsh. So they obviously thought he was going to be the person to take over from Bielsa and and go forward. But it was always kind of it was very much at odds, and it was at odds from the moment that 49ers Enterprises kind of bought half or up to half. Because from then on, you had the situation of Roderick Zani saying, I think we'll build slowly, we'll be mid-table, move away from relegation, two, three seasons of safety, and then I want to get us into Europe. And his next target seemed to be qualification for Europe and then sell to a, a big boy, um, which again was like a reasonable target. But then particularly once there was the deal in place or the deal reported that 49ers had the end of this year that they would trigger a, a buyout, it was then very difficult to listen to Radrick Zani going like, well, you know, we want to grow slowly over the next five years. It's like, well, you're selling in a year. So that those things all got quite um, out of sync. And I think the clarity and I think maybe he lost sight of what he was hoping to achieve because there was no longer that sort of specific point of, like plan one, get promoted. Plan two, what was plan two? At what point did he think in plan two, that's when I take a profit and leave? Um, but do you think it, it seemed to be several different ideas, whether it was once he got into Europe or once 49ers bought him at this point or, or when? Do you think it was perhaps that he just didn't realise that, or he wouldn't acknowledge that his wealth wasn't enough to kick us onto the level that we need, That i.e., they underestimated the strength of the Premier League and the resources that you need to make that sort of ascent. And then at some point in the last year or two, when we've been gurgling around the plug hole, to use a phrase I've used before, he's gone, oh, this is actually really hard and takes tens and tens and tens of millions of pounds. I don't either don't have or don't want to commit to this. And then he's gone, 
I owe it probably is time to sell. Failures are very expensive as well in the Premier League. When you buy someone like Rutter, for example, we, we don't know what he's going to become. Don't be wrong, he could turn it around and be a, a good Premier League striker in a couple of years. But you, the amount you have to spend to hopefully get a good player and then a, a, sell, a saleable player at the end of it is a hell of a lot. It's not like in the Championship where you're picking up Matt Clicks and Alioskis and people like that for a, a relatively low amount of money and they might push you on to the next level. It's really expensive. And I think the the cumulative bill for all these players we've bought now, there's money due every year on them. And probably he's looking at that and thinking, can't necessarily afford this. Particularly could, could be the thing that's tipped the balance. I was going to say, yeah. if there's not the money there, particularly now we've gone down, if there's not the guaranteed money there from, from TV, all of a sudden committing a million pounds a month looks pretty small if you if you well, that, we that, fi- oh 50 million in transfers this summer don't we exactly so yeah. there's all and then the same again next summer a lot of lot of money to go there and i think maybe the year well i don't think there's maybe about it i think the first year under bielsa made them think this is easy they were like this is this is fine we just we just give him these players he improves them we finish mid table it's great we'll sell rafinha next year that'll be 60 million quid or whatever the model continues we can we can keep ticking these players over then when it started going wrong all of a sudden the whole model falls apart doesn't it and it, and the Leicester model becomes Leicester of this year not Leicester of three years ago I think it's more that you did realise and that's why the 49ers were there at all because you realised he couldn't afford a Premier League club on his own so he brings in wealthy investors to put in money alongside him and with them there it, essentially everything you put in is at least doubled he's got people he can rely on to put money in while he doesn't. and But the problem from that point is it then um, he no longer owns the whole thing. He's got other people who are having a, a say. And I think, and want a say, maybe if he doesn't want them to have as much of a say as they yeah. as they demand. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. And he's, he, he's always kind of worked this way through his sort of media broadcasting rights career. There were times when, I think, before he set up MP and Silver, where he was selling his business to somebody said, instead of giving me cash, bankroll me an office in the Far East and go into business with me and together we will make more money. And this was the offer with 49ers where it's like, bankroll me. I've run this club to this point. It's now worth this. If you start putting money in, I will make it really good and then we'll both make lots of money. And he was talking about that when he was talking about moving on to other projects and expanding his empire of his network of clubs say I replicate I'm talking to the 49ers about replicating this model in other places and it sounds like there's an element of that in Sampdoria where he said to um, QSI or whoever it's like look I'll go in there I'll buy it because it's cheap and then you give me loads of money and I'll run it and I'll make it really good and then we we both profit I think at Leeds the running of things and maybe the bigger factor the biggest factor in all of this rather than personality is just um, not being able to put a winning team on the pitch and having these investors on your shoulder going, why are we getting relegated? Which then, which then goes back to the boardroom, doesn't it? And putting the relevant people in place. Because I was going to say, the interesting test of what Radrazani perhaps failed to do will be shown by what the 49ers do do now. So if they put in a far more robust like senior management structure, you know, back office team, whatever you want to call it, kind of the, you know, the football department grows and has more people in it rather than just doing exactly the same thing again, it would perhaps show where Radrazani came up short by keeping, you know, because what I'm saying is he basically concentrated a lot of power into the hands of Victor Orta because he didn't know that much about football himself. So Orta's got the whole carte blanche approach to 
to doing the football. So if it fails, it's a single point of failure, isn't it? Which is ultimately what happened this last season. And it's felt like that at other levels as well. It feels like the media team's not very big and the commercial team's not very big and pretty much everything seems to fall for like Angus Kinnear and James Mooney. Like they, they seem to be the kind of only known people. So everything just gets gets pushed towards them and whether or not that's a workable structure at a Premier League team seems unlikely. I mean, I've, yeah, anecdotal stuff, that, but like the media department say another club uh, might be like 12 people and they've got two or three of them dedicated to social media. And it's, it's just, a, it's a huge, the whole thing's a huge operation, isn't it? And, and you do wonder how thinly it's been stretched over the course of the last three years because they've made a concerted effort, I think, to invest on the pitch, which obviously hasn't really worked and has resulted in us going down, perhaps at the expense of some of the off-the-field stuff, which has remained championship in its in its scale, which is quite ironic given that we've obviously now gone down. And that will be, yes, the new people with new money and possibly new ideas and new intentions and whether there were things that they wanted to do, but when you're 46% owners, I mean, this is something the 49ers kind of have to quickly deal with, is that they've been almost half owners of everything that's happened. But is, Do you think that's their first challenge, Moscow? Um, well, the biggest initial challenge. I, mean, I know they've got stuff to do in terms of appointments, but in terms of how they look. It's all equal challenges, and they've got to do it all at once, get a good coach, get a good director of football, get good players, get promoted, and make us like you um, is all kind of a, you got to do all that at once. There's no patience. Nobody's going to go like, "Oh, you've done, you've done a bit of it." But I don't think it helps them that they're arriving, having essentially kind of just sat back and and let whatever happens happen. There'll be lots of reasons for that. Maybe they've been on there. They're supposed to have weekly meetings, aren't they, with uh, Parag and um, Angus and Andrea and Co. Maybe he's been the one screaming at them, going like, "Get rid of Jesse Marsh and get Eddie Gray in and play the kids." <laughs> He might have been banging that drum in the background, but not been able to get anything uh, changed on the ground. And, you know, there's been... But the, it was interesting when... Certainly when Bielsa was sacked, and I think around the time Jesse Marsh was sacked, Pete Lowey, who is part of the 49s Enterprises Investment Group, has a habit of kind of flying in, sitting in the director's box, and then flying out again, and just being around. Suddenly the transition from Bielsa to... No, it wasn't a transition. The sacking of Bielsa, when they sacked Bielsa... Keep, people keep saying like, oh, isn't it terrible that we sacked Bielsa? We didn't. They sacked Bielsa. Anyway. And, and then he was there at, the, at Jesse Marsh's first game as well. So he was there for that, but didn't say anything. And then went away. So there's a big question mark of like, what were you, were you coming just to hang out? You wanted to see it done? Were you there saying, yes, you should do this or no, you should not do that? Were you, do you have to countersign something? So their involvement over the last, uh, however many years since they first invested is interesting. There's def- definitely a contrast with Pete Lowry in particular, who was on the. Um, I was looking at it. I look at it now as a as a turning point, and it felt like one at the time, but in a good way. The postseason, end of season awards um, after the West Brom game, when ten thousand people got in, um, and then they had a, an award show with Ellie Goulding and, and and the like, and Pete Lowry was there, and they broadcast it on um, live. Now it was on live. Now it was on Andrew Rarezani's. Andrea Ratrizzani's streaming platform and everybody was on great form telling jokes having drinks and you're thinking incredible Myanmar banter as well <laughs> and you're thinking these guys are gonna take it forward and um, it, it could all be fun but then um, for the bad times we get the statement that we got after the Tottenham game which nobody's put a name to and I'm just going like oh yeah some people here are sorry but we, we don't know who they are 
and, you, and we're definitely not going to show you their faces um, or their names. So there's um, there's a rebuilding, or not even a rebuilding, there's just a building of who are you, what have you been doing, why did we get relegated, um, what was your part in this, and what are you going to do about it? We do know that Pete Lowy is going to be one of the, the more familiar faces in the 49ers Enterprises Cabal. There's some, um, some venture capital money in there as well. We're seeing some... Uh, high-profile like sports stars. We know perhaps that uh, LL Cool J has been lurking around in the previous uh, bunch of share buyouts. We saw uh, Larry Nance Jr. break cover on this. High-profile sports stars that never heard of. But <laughs> if you know, if you like, state, state if you like that sort of thing. Have you heard of the uh, the Nas- National Basketball Association? Yes, Moscow. I he, believe the Nuggets won it. He features in that. I mean, I know that the Nuggets won it. I don't yeah. know who he is, but I don't, yeah. What, I'm sure he's very famous. Who was your favourite? Who was your favourite nugget? Um, the tall one. Yeah, you should have said chicken that scores at, all the baskets at that point. But anyway, um, so, so what do you make of it? I mean, like same before, like people often like conflate the ownership with the club itself, don't they? We saw that under Ken Bates. It was a it was a line he he trod very carefully and he used often in his favour. To, I mean, he didn't know who owned Leeds United for a lot of the time. You've got to remember that when uh, Ken Bates was that there. That is true, Michael, yeah. Um, but he, he used it to divide and conquer, didn't he? And people used to see that, like, for example, we spent a lot of time in the mag or whatever. When we started it, we took it on and did all this because we were a bit narked with what he was doing with the club. And people saw those attacks as um, as being an attack on the club itself. And it never is, and it never was. But they are, they are just custodians, and we need to remember that. And they may well come in and do some good things, uh, but we have to remember their goal in this is ultimately profit and sale, albeit talking about a project before and maybe the loss of focus of one Moscow. This is perhaps like eight to ten years, and what should come out of it is hopefully a Premier League side first and foremost, but a Premier League side in an updated, modernised, enlarged stadium, and a Premier League side that's hopefully relatively stable in the top division as well. The description of that relationship is why the relationship is the way it is, though, isn't it? Because Essentially, an owner is just a means to an end for football fans. As soon as they cease to be useful in making your football team good, you're going to dislike them. And, and, and all, all football teams in the pyramid can't be good at the once, can they? That's no. the thing. Yeah. There's a league table. It's like it's like scum for years. I know there was the initial backlash about the Glazers, but it's become more of an issue the longer it's gone without them winning trophies. If Ferguson had stayed in charge when, as it was at the start, when they were still winning trophies, they were still buying good players, but he was actually putting them together into an all right team. No one would care. I know there's I know there's loads of debt and stuff loaded in the background. And I know it's they're the way they run it is kind of terrible. But if they're winning games, no one would actually care. And they'd probably have, you know, they're about to sell it for however many billions. And if the next owners also don't win the Premier League, people will be annoyed at that at them as well. And it's is I suppose it's acceptable when you when you know that people are only coming in to make money, I don't feel bad about calling them dickheads quite quickly because you know that that's their aim. So you're not here. You're not here because you because you love us. You're here because you think there's an opportunity to resell us, and hopefully they will at some point because they do so with us as a better team. But you know that's the that's the balance that that any ownership has to find in it. And there's a bit of a two way um, balance with this as well, which is possibly new to us. Although it's worth remembering that when Peter Ridsdale was in charge of us and we were floated on the stock exchange all sorts of people owned Leeds United at that point Peter Ridsdale didn't own us he ran us he had a lot of shares in us that he kept awarding uh, to himself as like as a as a bonus thinking that they were going to be worth 
um, plenty in the future. But um, one for you, one for Peter, one for you. Well, there were all Peter. sorts of American banks involved. Sky TV had nine point nine percent. Yep. Um, so there was. Uh, so we we're owned by a lot of different people at that point, and now we are also owned by a lot of different people, and that's where Prag Prag Marate. Um, has kind of a two-way relationship because he's running, he's the custodian of Leeds United for Leeds United fans, but he is also the custodian of the fund for all these investors. And one of the ways that the, I think is worth remembering that these funds can work is that it's not a solid, united block. There's three funds that we know of that have all paid in at different times. And when you see this, it's easy to see this work in some American, particularly with National Women's Super League is there's a lot of this going on there because it's new and the value is increasing all the time. Is that say Larry Nance, for example, has paid into this round of funding. If a year down the line leads are worth a bit more um, because of things that have been going on, Larry Nance can just sell his bit, depending on how the fund exactly is set up. He could just go like, I'm out of this, or he'll be like, I'm gonna split my shareholding with someone else, or somebody else can buy in. And it's all it's very fluid behind the fund and you can yes there's the example from um some of the american soccer leagues is they'll just announce so-and-so is is new part owner has just bought in yeah. to bring in and they'll often say it's like, oh yeah i bring in particular expertise in uh you know well property development let's say for if somebody's got a, a finger in that particular yeah. pie so that would be that would be one or or paint <laughs> Which particular aspects of property development do you know? I'm, yeah, re- I'm really good at paint. But you're right. So it can be quite small. I was going to say you're right in. in that, well, because there's venture capital involved in it, and actually 49ers Enterprises is essentially a 49, uh, is essentially, sorry, a venture capital vehicle, um, because they do venture capital stuff outside of their football and our football. They've invested in tech and all sorts of different things, haven't they? Like, for example, the I think is it the app that, um, that, that runs their stadium was developed or funded or something along those lines by them and they sort of sold it externally then or, or bought it whichever way it might you know whichever way it might be it doesn't really really matter but yes yeah, so, and, and VC tends to do rounds of funding doesn't it so it could be that they've said to this initial round of investors which, which has presumably changed since we didn't stay up you know it's a different deal that's been been put in place you come in at this level and then when we get back up maybe we then we do another round of, of funding to put, try and push on in the Premier League um, yeah, and there's opportunities then to sell and say I'll take my profit now and I'm going to yeah. nip out other people will come in. The other problem with, uh, well, not problem, but the other feature of venture capital is it does tend to come after a, sh- a short while with a, a particular chance of, where's my profit? Where's my profit? Well, that's the thing. Well, that's the important thing, isn't it? That, and that's where the, the devil is in the detail. And it's detail we, mean, we may never know, but we have to trust that what they're saying and what is being said behind the scenes, which is that essentially this is a medium-term project of, let's say, eight to 10 years, whereby they start now, they get us into the Premier League, they do the stadium, which costs however many hundreds of millions of pounds, and then eventually you're sat on a on a company that turns over X million, and then it's worth a billion pounds, billion and a half quid, and that's their job done from their perspective, and then they can sell it to the next lunatic from the Middle East or whatever. It's reassuring in a way, given the wilderness years we had, that those are the stakes now, because if we're just ticking along the championship without parachute payments, that money is never coming back. The amount of money that has gone in isn't able to be extracted in a Bates, Chilino, couple of million pounds a year kind of way. Just up season ticket prices a bit and hope people still buy them. There's no possibility of that anymore for the amount of money that's gone in. We turn over, there were years we turned over about 30 million pounds in the championship with virtually no profit in every single year. So there's hopefully 
it means those days are gone of being absolute cheap asses and trying to do everything that way. The risk with that from a venture capital point of view is if there's no uh, profit and no sign of growth that they just sell. Hmm. Well, that's, well, so that's the point. And then they take all their money with them and then you haven't got any money left. Yeah, the point I was going to make actually on the, on the previous point was that the devil and the detail and all that will be in the contractual terms between 49ers Enterprises and their investors. Do they have to leave it in for five years minimum or eight or whatever for the duration of it? Hmm. You know, Presumably there are no dividends that get drawn out of it until the point of sale because that would make it a Glazers thing and that's obviously what we don't want um, because they're then stripping all the cash out. doesn't sound like it. It sounds like it's a thing they're going to try and increase the value of and you don't increase the value of it by stripping money out. You know, I mean, of- and if they leave, the thing is, if they leave because it's not making the money, they also leave without their own money. That's the yeah. thing. It, it, yeah, well, when, when the stakes are low, when you've got a club for not very much money, you've not essentially had to spend much to get out your bit, have you? You don't. Well, and there's, a, there's an opportunity to just take take your sort of annual expenses, salaries, whatever you need out of it, like GFH, Chilino, all those people did. It, it depends who's there and what funds are in the fund because one of the features of a venture capital fund model is that you get 100 million, you buy into 10 different companies, 10 million, and if one of them succeeds, you make... 200 million and the other ones you just write off because you've made your money and so it's, it's kind of like a percentages thing isn't it it's a yeah. spread betting yeah you 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 spread yourself thinly because you only need one of them to make the the big money and the other ones basically can just go fuck themselves and <laughs> like that is you see it happening to a lot of um, companies that they do just end up being told like this oh yeah we've been venture capital funding is going to take us to the next level they're really invested in what we're doing not just financially but they align with our targets and we're going to grow together and it's going to be fantastic. But then that venture capital fund has a makes a killing on something else. It's got, all right, this isn't working. Well, we haven't made a profit, so go foot yourselves. The important thing where this is concerned, though, is that we are a sporting organisation. And while the turnover is not massive compared to many, many industries, the profile of it is absolutely gigantic. And you would question the wisdom of people who own a sporting organisation in, in the form of the 49ers would um, just want to you know cut and run well, Legion United. Well, that's again. That's the point. It's not about the Forty ers It's about who has put money into the fund. Yeah, but as we understand it, the, fu- it, the fund is controlled by the Forty ers so, con- so, so the so the you know so if they've got autonomy over the spending of the fund, then you There's would have a bit of reputational damage. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's, what, that's where Parag's dual role is reminiscent of Peter Ridsdale because he has to answer to the fans, but he also has to answer to the people who have invested in his fund. And if they're all pissed off, then he has a problem. And this is where Ridsdale backed himself into a corner and tried to talk his way out of it by saying, as a fan, I would not be selling Jonathan Woodgate, but I also have to answer to my shareholders and they want me to sell Jonathan Woodgate. So that was always his way around. And it's slightly different because we're not listed on a stock exchange, but there's a similar relationship there where it's got to keep the fans happy. It's also got to keep the investors happy. And if the investors start making demands, that's a problem in one direction. If the fans start making demands that the investors don't like, mm-hmm. investors making fan- demands that the fans don't like, so Pragmarathi will be in the middle of that. And, Spinning those plates, baby. Yeah. And at the same time as uh, running contracts and stuff for the 49ers, he's still heavily involved in the actual um, old gridiron lads and the, uh, the, Amer- the American rugby team. And I think he got kicked out of the American cricket stuff. That all seems to be going... Kicked out feels like a strong description, should we say no longer involved? Um, yeah, I mean, there was, <laughs> there was legal action. Like Everyone's throwing lawsuits around because right. of how that's been run. I think he was... Sort of elbowed out of it and but he's still kind of involved in 
in bits of it of how they get to, to be clear, when, you, when you say American cricket, you do you don't uh, you do actually mean cricket, don't you? Yes, it's not baseball. <laughs> it's not baseball. Yeah, it was, it's all uh, he's was heavily involved in running the American Cricket um, Association, but that's been going wrong. So he's got to keep that running, and all the other things that Forty Nine ers Enterprises do, they've got to work. But then that's that's also where you know Forty Nine ers Enterprises. Like, how many of those things do they do they just cut some of those off now? We're doing leads now, so. He's got a lot, um, a lot on him, so he better be good, hadn't he? Yes, that's and he does so. sound from. Uh, although the you know the American cricket thing is one thing, but his capabilities with 49ers, the gridiron team, salary caps, all that stuff yeah. that he seems to be very good at, and the the administration side of that, um, he seems to know what he's doing there. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Do you think that Leeds fans, more than anything, want capable people with their hand on the tiller? And what does that look like I mean it's obvious to say buy some players sort it all out but what do they need to do from the off in your opinion do do you feel a sense of relief first and foremost yeah just because it was not helping anyone that this was ticking along the whole time it felt like there was no one particularly in the final months of the season when Rajasani's off trying to buy another club and not tweeting about Adam Forshaw it feels like I know it felt like he his mind was very much elsewhere and he was still the man running it and the man running the football side had left as well so I just had an image of essentially Angus Kinnear rattling around Ellen Road trying to do everything by himself because he was like well no one's picking up like I've not got anyone to speak to about football the 49ers that don't own this thing Rajasani's off somewhere else chatting to people about buying other clubs like who he's felt like we've been as a club fairly neglected for a while and I suppose having someone coming in with a bit of renewed focus because as well it's a new thing for them so you, you like to think that they're going to come in and be like right okay immediately let's start sorting stuff out. I know over years, Rock kind of kicks in in places and maybe that's why things need to refresh. Football teams are the same, but Bielsa said it himself. You need to bring in new people to kind of give things a bit of fresh impetus. My hope is that a load of new people in the door will see them go, right, okay, let's really get a hold of this. We've seen 
we can see that this this bit's bad, this bit's bad, this bit's bad. They'll have a walk around the stadium and they'll say, why is the pie on the wall? Why is that toilet smashed to bits? Like little bits like that, you hope it might fix as well and just give the whole place a little bit of a, a bit of a push as truthfully we've had with previous ownerships. I mean, God, it lasted for like literally a week. But do you remember the, the GFH takeover and Luke Murphy scoring and everything felt great for about 10 minutes? And then it's same when Radrazanik, I know, it, I know it took a while for it to work, but it felt like when we got up, maybe we were fixed for a time, didn't it? With with Bielsa and owners who seemed at least fairly competent compared to what had gone before them. To draw parallels with those examples or to compare them actually, do you look at the 49ers and think they've got a bit more gravitas and capability compared to those? Because I know with GFH, we were kind of like, well, this is all right. It was, just not, it was just not Ken Bates is all anyone Let's hope thought. all these these rumours of what they've been doing with property in the Middle East and how they treat their investors are a, are a little bit of a red herring and that they're actually quite capable. And you kind of, you push all that to the side because what you see on the football pitch makes you feel all right for a bit. But looking at it objectively now, we've, we've seen no evidence of what a, a football team under the sole, con, sole control of the 49ers looks like just yet. And we will do in the coming months. But as you sit here today, do you have more confidence in it as, as an entity, as a as an organisation, as people who are going to be in charge of things for the next however many years. Ish. <laughs> I don't know. We need, we need to see it, don't we? I, I know it's very much a physical manifestation of a sports team, but when you look, and, and I know it's not universally loved by the fans, but when you do like an online tour of the, the Levi's Stadium over there, that it's ridiculous. It's like a big shopping centre in parts. There's massive plazas within it with like restaurants and the club shop and all this different stuff. And you do look at it compared to Leeds United and you think, they surely know what they're doing on certain aspects of this. Like There are, there are elements of running a, a, an American football team that are, are miles and miles ahead of where we are and certainly miles ahead of anything you'll get in the championship. Yeah, there's, I mean, so I'll put the, the case for wariness about the whole kind of funding model, but the, and the 49 enterprises does feel like a, a needed influx of energy potentially good energy as well that everything that they know about running um, the 49ers should be applicable and I can't wait for Ellen Road to be a shopping mall because <laughs> um, that's that's going to be that's to immediately jump back to the the, the risks and the wariness that's something that's going to have to be quite carefully managed or not managed um, and just done um, which is that negotiation of how Leeds United enters the the modern world and I kind of I can remember we were talking about Radvit Tani previously and saying that maybe one day we'll look back on this time and go, oh, it was pretty good when we were a bit shit, wasn't it? Because we'll miss the West Stand when it's gone and all those things that were nice when it's become, you know, uh, glitzy and glamorous and it's full of tourists and all the kind of things that we yeah, don't like. 6,000 corporate seats in the middle tier, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's always been a very uh, confused, not confused, but a conflicted aspiration um, that the Premier League creates new, and the moment we got promoted, every Leeds fan's like, "Oh, redevelop the stadium! Can't wait for release the designs, show us the drawings," and you get excited about how Alan Drake could be redeveloped. But then you remember it is going to be six thousand corporate seats, and you won't be able to afford to sit in any of them, and you probably won't ever go in that place, and it will change saying, the atmosphere. We've we become like everyone else, exactly, and it will ruin it. But it's exactly what you want, and it's the same. You it's know, funny. That it's, it's funny talking about that conflict. First of all, I need to say there was um, a friend of mine who, um, when we were out on the charity walk, sent through a WhatsApp, and I didn't read the message properly before looking at the image. And it was a uh, you, know, you can get AI to generate stuff now, and they've got AI to generate a redeveloped Allen Road. And I looked at the photo and I went, "What have they done?" 
but it was just like this sort of uh, like you know it can create kind of a Frankenstein's monster uh, effect on on certain things. And also, the, the Allen Road already oh, is. Oh, it had a it had a helipad on the south stand. Then the South Stand was the biggest stand in the stadium. I was like, this doesn't look right. What have they done? And then I actually properly read the message and realised, yeah. And there were two, like, I think it was like two revolving restaurants on top of a, almost a tiny West Stand. I was like, what have they, what have they done? The 49ers. See, I, would, the, I would take this. This right. sounds great. <laughs> They're absolutely mad. You get from Pontefract quicker, wouldn't you? Exactly. In your, in your helipad. In your helicopter. Yeah, I was, now I've said this, I think I said it towards the end of the season. Like, I looked at Ellen Road after one of the recent uh, many home defeats. Drove past it on the motorway and just went, oh, fuck off. Like, and hated it and resented it and wanted it all demolished and all the dust ground into the earth and set fire to and all the rest of it. Scorched the earth. And yet you're right, though. There's a real duality about it. I kind of I look at it and I think, we need to move on now from that form of the stadium. Because I, I, I look around it and when we were shit last season, I just saw, I saw ghosts everywhere. Like the bit of the stadium that's 1950s. It was like, it's the, that's the John Charles stand. This and then, what you get for going to games with Yvette Fielding. <laughs> And then, um, but looking like that, so the cop being a symbol of, you know, Reeves leads in the 70s, and then you've got Wilkinson's leads in the form of the East Stand. And I thought, you know, we were dead good players, John Charles and Billy Bremner, and it's like, it's all just, we just need to move on from it. But all that stuff... Not move on from it, in the sense that we need to forget it. I mean, we obviously need to harness our, our, I think, our history, but we are very much mired in our own history as a fan base, aren't we? But didn't all that stuff sort of feel brilliant when we were winning games in the PL? But that, that, is, that is the contradiction of it, is that we can, it felt so pure, didn't it? And it's like, we can still have this absolute shit all of a stadium that's got all this, these relics in it. And and it's the winning and losing, really, that actually drives it all. Yeah, I mean, I can, the thing is, you eventually, you fall behind financially, don't you, for not having that stuff. And the consequence of falling behind financially, is which, which you don't want to buy in, into emotionally, because you go, "It's about money. Yeah. I don't care." But we need to. But you fall into you fall into a low division, and you become, as we were under Bates, as we were under GFH, under Chilina, like a shrinking and like ever more irrelevant club in that division. And you've you've seen the way the transformation in Leeds since Bielsa, that just the amount of Leeds shirts you see around, like you, there were, there were genuinely not that many for a lot of years, were there? Whereas now, everywhere you go, there's there's lead stuff. There's and people bitch and moan about Ad- what Adidas have designed, and you wonder how much that's been influenced by whoever um, at the club. But it has—you've seen a noticeable explosion of it. You notice them a lot more, don't you? Know? Mm. And maybe if we can, by going downshift the uh, the front of shirt sponsor, then all all the better. But so you know, you're right. We are, we is far more visible. You're right. You're right. It's very. It's all quite mixed up in lots of ways because it, that's hints at the bit of the lost opportunity that we had, kind of that incredible mix of who we were with Bielsa felt right. And so lightning in a bottle moment that it was all um, working. But now, essentially, you know, if we do come straight back up, then we look at Radvitsani and say, what's his legacy? Well, he's turned us into Norwich. Like, cheers, mate. It's just what we always want is to go up and down. Because we had that moment where we'd lead historically with Yo-Yo pre-Reevy, but then Reevy took us up and we went stormed to the top of the first division and stayed there for a decade. Um, Wilkinson took us back up and we stormed to the top of the first division didn't quite stay there the full decade but we were there for 10 years closer to the top than we were to the bottom for most of that time got into Europe and all those kind of things and then we came up with Bielsa and we stormed to ninth but that's about as far as you can go in the Premier League at the moment thinking oh well we're, we're going to do uh, what Brentford did stay like move forward um, we'll fast track a Brighton and we'll get straight into Europe and it's going to be fantastic but instead that moment was lost and yeah, so we feel a little bit more like we've got that either West Brom or Norwich or one of the other teams that's going up and down all the time. But the other aspects about the, the stadium and the kind of the, 
the history and the crapness of it all that we love is to remember that if Don Revie had his way, West End... Johnny would be knighted. Johnny would be knighted and uh, West End and Lowfields as was, both would have gone during his tenure and they would have been replaced. He was effectively, he had planned out an Old Trafford style bowl um, where everything, all the stands at the same level and it goes round and it's a 60,000 capacity and as modern as it could be in the 1970s. And we got as far as that, we moved the cop back, we moved it north to make room for a bigger south stand and you can see that if you imagine those two stands carrying around the whole um, stadium, that's what Don Revy was aiming for. So we kind of, it shouldn't even be how it is now if we'd done it properly in the 1970s. Um, so there was a big missed opportunity there to not be in the state that it is in now. So when it comes to what it feels like, do you want a stadium that feels like something that our greatest manager didn't want and was trying to get rid of at the time? Or do you want to kind of bottle it and keep it the way it was when Don Reeve used to look around and go, this is a bit shit this, I'm going to knock it all down and build something better. But you build for the times and there'll probably, I'm sure there would have been people in um, the 1970s going, how dare you get rid of this grassy hill that the <laughs> Lowfields is, is built upon. I love this weird little shelf but nobody understands why it's here. That's my favourite place in the stadium. How dare you build something modern um, in 1975 and it'll be the same in... 2035 when we finally get around to doing anything when it's like well, why why does this have to be so modern but it will be it will be whatever is uh, is happening at the time is what we'll get and the other thing I was going to say is the the building and the, the influx of energy and the kind of the, the positive things that they can do is looking at Manchester City winning the the Champions League and the treble in fact finally a, a good team has won the, the treble I think it's about time about time there were some worthy treble winners because I don't think anybody uh, who did it before really deserved it, did they, in this country? Anyway, um, up your scum, it's funny. <laughs> and um, proved a few things. Is like, okay, obviously the billions and the allegations of cheating, obviously those, those help. Having a lot of players from Yorkshire, that is also a, a crucial factor, it seems, in, in success. But then the, what they did before Pep Guardiola was build a club with everything that he could possibly want to manage a football team so that he was eventually, like, it's, it was almost like stepping into a, um, a comfy pair of trousers for him. Um, although he always seems to wear trousers that are too tight. Him and, him and Jesse Marsh could swap legs at some point. And, um, but it was all built for, for him. It's like, we will build all this stuff behind the scenes and then we will go and attract him like the dove from above and he'll come and settle and it'll all be um, and, it, and he will be able to make it run and whatever scale you're working at in terms of money that's probably what you need to be looking at is you can build all the stuff behind the scenes you don't necessarily need to wait for the right manager the right director of football to be putting all these things in place you're talking infrastructure baby yeah basically so taking that um, that attitude if you can't take the um, the, the billions of um, very uh, soundly acquired sponsorship money that has definitely not contravened any rules or regulations. <laughs> but just at whatever scale you can do it, build something that works so that it doesn't rely on a Victor Orta or Jesse Marsh or you can, you've got more of a chance of, of victory or of, of succeeding to some point if, if it's built around you and that's what they can do. 
And that's what kind of the expertise that I would hope from the old ironing grids gives these guys. It's like, well, it's, build, it's just build build the whole thing, isn't yeah. it? It's, it build the whole organisation, and that's what probably what we're lacking. It goes back to what we were saying before about maybe prioritising team building, but it was all concentrated through the prism of Victor Auto, wasn't it? So we'll wrap it up in a few minutes, but we are seeing the first rumbling of uh, stuff happening, which is they seem to be on with the process of getting a new manager. Uh, director of Football Web has been spoken about. So um, I know Farker, if you'd have looked at it maybe, say, 12 months ago, you would have thought that lacks ambition, but... We're at a point, surely, now where we need to walk before we can run and uh, stop talking about Europe and just get back into the Premier League, first of all. Hey, Daniel. (laughs) The amount of tweets I've received (laughs) in the last kind of week of people going, I really, really hope Farker gets it just for... For you. Just to force Michael to do the voice um, every Uh, single week. You're a bit croaky. I'm really croaky. So, um, Daniel Farker to Leeds, how do you think he feels about that, potentially? (laughs) I think they we got appointment, yes. Yeah. I can't yes, I've booked a Caribbean cruise this summer, so maybe when I get back from that, I look look at the job and speak <laughs> to the those American boys and we'll see what we do. It's a great club. It's a great club that is United. I've had success there as an away coach and I loved it. It was a great atmosphere with the fans. As for uh, Farker working with Weber, makes sense on one level, doesn't it? I mean you're talking about becoming Norwich there, Moscow. Yes, it makes sense on one level, Rena. It doesn't make sense in the fact that I don't want Weber. <laughs> I know he was highlighted recently because he did that um, ridiculous interview where he was talking about somehow he, he wasn't able to give a, a diplomatic answer or even just a, a boring answer about Norwich's women's team playing at Carrow Road. He decided it's like completely trash women's sport as a as an entity. And and even though he's ostensibly as director of football at Norwich, probably in charge of it. Was, um, but the thing was, that's the one that grabbed the headlines, but that's only the the most recent stupid interview he's given at Norwich, there was one, I think it was when they were going down from the Premier League and he was, uh, um, he just went on holiday that January. He said, we're not going to Was, that, was it when he went climbing Everest or something? Well, yeah, he, he decided at some point that his prior, priority rather than being director of football at Norwich was these personal challenges of climbing mountains. I think he was doing them for charity, but certainly self-satisfaction was a great deal of it. He's like, I want to give myself these challenges so he was doing that in the, the January transfer window when they were getting relegated and he was like well we're not signing anybody we've got absolutely no plans to do any players in or out so there's there's no reason for me to be here so I'm off for a month As I, that's that's just not even don't even if that's what you're doing don't tell people this <laughs> and, like, and so when you're talking about judgment it seems quite defensive doesn't it yeah and when you're talking about judgment you say well it should all be about the track record of signing players and he signed good players for Norwich and got them to the, the Premier League and stuff. But judgment is also things you, how you present yourself in public. And if you can't make the judgment about, should I tell them that I don't actually give a toss what happens in January and I'm just off? Or should I try and put something more diplomatic in place? Or should I just tell them that um, I think our own women's team is a lot of rubbish and I don't understand why anybody would want to watch it and they shouldn't play at our stadium then? Or should I just keep that quiet and just say, oh no, it was really, it was really positive that... Um, the women's team played at Carroll Road and we're hoping that that's a real growth area for the sport and we can perhaps build on the excitement, excitement of the Euros. And uh, and there's a lot of work to do to improve that area of the football club, but um, it seems to energise uh, the people who enjoy it. And they're Easy! But yeah. if you can't do those things, I don't want that guy like going, oh, 
like signing players. There, seem, there, there does seem to be a lack of, I don't know whether it's emotional intelligence or self-awareness or maybe some combination of the two, whether he's just defensive about you know the fact that Norwich have yo-yoed a bit. Who knows? But He's also, he's, just, a, he's, a, he's a personality. So the fact that I know those I was, things I was about just going to say, that's the thing. It's like, if you do come in, it'd be great to not hear from him for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and I know we've moaned about the players being the ones to always Forever. front. Or front. Well, this is it. I was just going to say, the players having to front everything and you want to hear from the execs. We've probably swung the other way now, haven't we? We, need, we just need you to go about your jobs efficiently for a bit and not hear from you. Or if you do hear from them, you want to hear from them about, you know, this is what we're doing to put things right, not actually I think I'm just going to climb Everest if that's all right. That's what I mean by personality. Is you, you, almost want, you want somebody who speaks and just communicate, but maybe a drone. It's kind of like a referee. You want them to mm. go about their job quietly and efficiently and not spoil everything and not, yeah not make lots of horrendous mistakes and if they do make a mistake explain it mm. but not in kind of Clattenburg terms <laughs> so what you want is to just be perfect in our image yeah Peter Walton do you think um, <laughs> do you think that's going to be a good sign in the end uh, well yes I think whatever the referees decided whatever the football director has decided will be a good thing yes <laughs> thanks Peter but I don't know how close we get to all the um, clubs directors of footballs and internal structures and such but it's, uh, I know of at least two, and I know I know there's a lot of anger about Stuart Webber and what he's done at Norwich, and I know that a lot of other clubs have directors of football about whom I do not know of any anger. So I'll, I would favour somebody that I do not have any like, that I don't already know that the fans of his last club didn't like him would be a great start. It's a bit like the old... Uh, like when we got Victor Ross from Borough, for example. For example, <laughs> and uh, Shredder coming from... Where was Shredder coming from? Ajax. The, sewer, the sewers with the turtles. Shredder from Ajax, where it's like the last thing we knew about him was the fans making huge banners showing him being uh, killed in various ways. <laughs> and we're like, well... There's one saying he had an alien head as well. Yeah, it's like he doesn't seem popular. What are the reasons why he's not popular? Whereas there are there are other managers available. Like no, when Javi Gracia turned up, all the Watford fans were like, Troy Deeney forgot him. Troy Deeney did that interview where he was asked to uh, name all the managers he played for at Watford. And if he got two, a one of them was Avi Gracia. And he said, oh, but I love Avi. I spoke to him last week. So Anonymous kind of goes under the radar and uh, didn't do a very good job for us. But he was all right. Nobody minds Avi Gracia, do they? So those people are out there. It's a bit like old Stevie G and Scott, Scotty Parker, Scotty Parker. Other people. There's got to be yeah. others who you are know, not Steve I mean, there's the Villa podcast... Um, uh, I might have even been a Villa family. Either way, they were just sort of saying, I really hope he's not infl- inflicted on you guys about Gerard. Like, all right, really? The club did seem keen on him at one point, didn't they? I'm sure, I'm sure in the Bielsa years... Yeah, he was moved he to was, He was yeah. like a potential successor for, for Bielsa because we obviously knew that was and at some stage, but surely the Villa bit yeah. damages Bowyer it considerably. as well was always spoken about and then he put himself... Yeah. He had a great plan. Mm. He was saying everything last week. It's on well, Talk Sport basically saying... Everything you would do, I'd sign these players, I'd play two up front, I'd be attacking like Bielsa, but a bit more structured. Question for you then, as we close this out, final point, would you prefer, if it is to be Rodgers or Farker, if they can persuade Rodgers, would you prefer him over Farker? Which one do you think? I mean, Rodgers has got a bit more pedigree, hasn't he? And I think Rodgers has done it at clubs where there's a lot more pressure on him because Norwich are a lovely bunch, aren't they? But it seems quite, that's the main, the main thing people say about Norwich, it's a lovely family club, really nice people there. Just like Leeds. Whereas like Liverpool and Celtic have got a good old share of <laughs> bastards there, yeah. which I think is is probably a far better comparison for Leeds. So I'd, I'd rather him, but Farker equally, I don't think Farker would be a terrible appointment. He he really 
like pissed this league twice with Norwich. And I know he then wasn't successful in the Premier League, but equally, they never really spent a lot, did they? It never felt like they came up and had a proper go at it. They never like came up and went, chucked 100 million. Because the director of football's up a mountain. Very true. Mm. <laughs> Where he'll be again. But I, I think Farker wouldn't be the worst. And certainly when you look at, look down the list and you see Gerard, Scotty Parker. I think Give him his full name. Scotty Scott, Scotty Parker. Scott, Scott, Scotty, Scotty, Scott, Scott, yeah. I mean, the, the bloody can he be in a live at Ellen Road, wouldn't he? The first, the first yeah. goal goes in. What the fucking hell is that? What? Has Benitez got a job yet? Um, I'm not sure if he has. I, I don't, I'm curious why he's dropped out of all the conversation. Maybe he said, never in a million years will I manage in Yorkshire. Yeah. But. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? That the whole kind of just gradually drifting out of people's consciousness in the way that, like, well, we've seen Big Sam. It's happened to him, hasn't it? He's, mm. And he's become yesterday's man very, very quickly. Well, Benitez and me was, was spoken about a lot after Jesse Marsh. Mm. There was a lot of kind of get Benitez in and seemed like an almost a viable option, but now this time around. I've just, I've just opened the bet in Farker, current favourite, but then uh, Carl Baran, Rogers, Vieira, Potter, Gerard are the, uh, the other... Top names on there. What happened to Rich? I thought Gerard had taken a job. He hasn't he? signed it yet. Oh, he's, he's Saudi Arabia. Seen in Saudi. What's happened to Red, Reggie Labris as well? He's on this list. I, I enjoyed his name. I think they were also linked with taking a job as well. And who is it? Um, Ariola is supposed to be taking a job as well. I think Almeria was the latest rumour. Al- Almeria. Almeria? Yes, that's what I what said. Identical. I, I came up against... Uh, because um, Pablo Hernandez is next opponent in the playoffs uh, to get back to the second division in Spain is uh, my old friend's Alcaron. <laughs> uh, right, I, I typed it wrong several times before. I was like, I'm sure I, I get this wrong sometimes. Al, is it Alcorson? Alcorson? There's another C in there. Alcorcon. Anyway. Alcorcon. 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 Yeah, Neil Warnock, 100 to 1. He's agreed to stay on at Huddersfield. 100 to 1 for Leeds. So he is going to be back at Elland Road next season as long as it's a. Is he, you know, is he staying on at this Yeah, he says he's going to stick. Bloody hell. But there is today, so I'm going to take over as well. So I don't know if somebody's going to come in and go, like, lads, that, Na- honestly. Nathan no. Jones and Frank Lampard, both 66 to 1. Is Lee Bromby still director of football at Huddersfield? That's, he knows the club, doesn't he? <laughs> we could have the Bromby and Warnock dream team bring them over as a combo. Yeah, Benitez is on the list, but 40 to 1, so seems unlikely. Yeah, there's a few others on there. Like, can they persuade Potter to drop mm. down with Vieira? would annoy Jesse Marsh because they were rivals in New York who was the other one Corberan knows the club doesn't he he knows the club we will wrap it up there um, we will pick up this conversation and get into a bit more detail later on in the week when we uh, we speak to Phil who is now he's one of us now we've we've taken him I don't know what makes you think he'll have any more detail than we've just done in the last but we need hour. to speak about the players as well so we'll uh, we'll get to the, the players who's staying who's going who's been uh, making noise about going and uh, who's been making noise about staying and somewhere in between all that to discuss later in the week with Phil and we will see you soon The Square Ball Podcast Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com covered. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. 
Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.